Well, I'm excited today to be able to get into uh, another message in this series called Above and Beyond. This is a series that we're doing on Sunday mornings, uh, and it's also a series that we're walking through with our life groups. And man, I've heard some testimonies this week. God's been doing some incredible things in our life groups, and uh, Day and I are excited to host a group at our house tonight. And so uh, we just encourage all of you that are participating in that to, uh, to just let God speak to you and speak through you. It's just so neat to hear from different groups the ways that, that the Spirit kind of leads the conversation. You know, we, we've, got, uh, we've got some materials for the leaders, and, and, and they know they're, they're supposed to read the materials and, and, and take us down those roads because there's, there's some things that we feel like the Holy Spirit is trying to say to the church, and we want to say those things. But even, even outside of, of where we're leading the conversation, the Holy Spirit just starts just kind of doing something unique and, and, and creative in each of those conversations, and, and it's just so encouraging to see what God's doing. So just before we get into this message today, let me just double down on one of the announcements because this is uh, a big event at our church, and I just want to kind of poll the audience real quick. How many of you have been a part of our Fall Fest already before? Raise your hand if you've been a part of that. Okay, a lot of you. Wow, awesome. Well, several of you didn't raise your hand, and let me just encourage you. This has been an incredible opportunity that the Holy Spirit has given us to reach this community. And uh, as you heard in the announcements last year, we had over 1,000 guests that came. You know, that's like half of Wrightsville. I think that's pretty awesome, right? I mean, that's pretty good. We had over 1,000 people come and be a part of this event. And uh, from the beginning of doing this event, we've called it the Community Fall Fest. And we didn't ask permission to call it the Community Fall Fest. We just claim our community in Jesus' name. And, and it's our community in Jesus' name. We shall have everywhere that the sole of our feet shall trod. This is our community. And so we can host community events. But the cool thing is, it has become a community event. Other organizations have bought into the vision of what we're doing and have said, we'd like to be a part of it. And we said, look, there, there's two criteria. Uh, number one, nothing scary. Now, I know some of you probably have, you know, strong opinions about Halloween. Some of you, you'd love it, and you've got traditions, and, and I'm sure there's probably others listening to me that, that you hate Halloween, you know, and uh, it's like, oh, I want nothing to do with it, you know, because probably like me, you've had that experience where when your kids were toddlers, you walked into Home Depot, and some big inflatable Grim Reaper scared the life out of them. You're like, oh, man, why has it got to be motion-censored, <laughs> you know, you're like, I hate Halloween. And that's fine. Whatever your conviction is on that, we're certainly not celebrating Halloween. But here's what, here's what we believe. Halloween night is the one night of the year that the lost world comes and knocks on our door. I mean, how convenient is that? So we got one of two options. We can either close the blinds and turn the lights off and just pretend we're not there. Or we can turn the lights on and throw a party and tell people that Jesus loves them. We've chosen the latter. And so on October 31st, we, we strategically do our event on the night that our community has trick-or-treating during the time span that they advertise it from 6 to 8.30 p.m. There'll be boys and girls walking with their families up and down the streets of this community and, and uh, many people even driving in from outside of this town to be a part of this event. They're going to get free candy. They're going to play games. They're going to have a lot of fun. And several other organizations have agreed to say, yeah, we're not, we're not going to try to scare anybody. We're just going to come and be a part of it. The other criteria was it has to be free. Nobody's coming to make money. So uh, we don't want anybody to think this is a, a, a fundraiser, like the church is trying to hijack Halloween to make money. Nope. 
No strings attached. We just want to love you. We just want to celebrate your family. We want you to have a great time. And we want you to know that there's a church in this community that wants to make your life better. And so that's the heart of this event, and, and it's an all-hands-on-deck event. So if you're looking for a place to serve, an opportunity to get involved, I want to encourage you. Join in with us. If you can't be there that night, I get it. Uh, not everybody can be at everything, but there are ways you can help us out in advance, and so we just want to encourage you to be a part of those things. How many of you, as we shift towards this message today, uh, have had an awkward moment uh, with a close talker? Anybody know what I mean by a close talker? Those people that they don't, they don't understand that we all have this invisible circle around us that we call personal space. How many of you believe that's important, that, that personal space? Okay, so some of you, I know you do, because I watched you when Pastor Chris said, hey, before you're seated, why don't you go ahead and shake hands and greet somebody? And some of you people, you know nothing about that personal space, because right away you're like, hey, and you, you just come over and you grab a total stranger. They're probably here for the first time today. It was so awkward, and if that's you, I'm sorry. Just understand that they, they're, you know, they don't know about your bubble. They're not aware, and they just, they just burst people's bubbles every day. It's just who they are. But some of you, you know, you know about personal space because, because when Pastor Chris said that, like, your first response was like, you know, you're, you're like, give me some space. This is going to be awkward. And then somebody comes in, and they embrace you, and they hug you, and, you know, every, every muscle in your body tenses up, and, and it's uncomfortable, and but some people, they, they, just, they just get in your personal space. Day and I went on a trip a few weeks ago. We got to go to Italy. Let me tell you something about the Italians. They are some close talkers. I mean, some cultures are different than others. I don't you know, any, any Italians here today? I'm just wondering. I'm telling you, we were over there, and, and they, first of all, if, if their hands are in their pockets, they can't talk. It's an amazing thing. Like, they can't talk without moving their hands, you know. And so they have these conversations, and they talk to each other like this. And, and we, were, we were sitting at this cafe, and there was these two older gentlemen, and they were sitting in seats facing each other. And, I mean, their legs were, like, literally intertwined like a couple on their honeymoon. And they're just talking to each other like this. And, and they're in each other's face, and I'm going, man, that is way, that's too much for me. That's too close for me. Like, I just got to be honest with you. I, I'm, I'm. I haven't always been a hugger, okay? I've, I've kind of been one of those personal space people. I've noticed that the older I get, uh, the more I'm becoming a hugger. And I don't know what it is. Maybe it's, maybe it's wisdom. Maybe, maybe it's Phil's influence. He's back there like, yeah, yeah. If you've ever met Phil, you've been hugged. You know, that's just, that's, he's a hugger. But, but I, maybe it has to do with like the fact that, you know, some of the kids that I used to like carry on my back and pick up and toss in the air, well, you know, you, you, you age a little and now I've done their weddings and I've dedicated their children and I, and I realize that, man, this life, it goes by quick and so it kind of teaches you to slow down and, and embrace people a little bit more and so, I'm, and, and maybe it's just these other guys that are super awkward huggers that have rubbed off on me. But I think, I think I'm slowly, I'm slowly morphing. Like I, I've, I think I'm far enough into the transition that I know what my future looks like. I'm going to be that 75 year old man in the church that comes up and kisses everybody on the cheek on Sunday. We were like, oh, this is weird. Thank That'll be me. That's where I'm headed. I can see the trajectory of my life. I'm going to hit my stride. I'm going to get the, you know, the socks and the short pants. And you get to that moment where you don't really even care about etiquette or what you just, 
I'm going to be that guy, so stick around. It'll be exciting. Uh, but here's what I, I really have noticed. You know, the degree to which we're comfortable with people in our presence has a lot to do with how, how much we think of them. Uh, that's not always the case. That's a broad stroke statement. But just for example, I mean, like when I get on an airplane, I'm like, I want my armrests. You know what I mean? Like I, I want those down and I'm going to fight you to keep my armrests. I don't want you sleeping on my shoulder if, you didn't, if I didn't buy your ticket. Like you don't sleep on my shoulder. You go to the movies, you know, those theater seats. I want the seats down. And unless it is packed out, do not sit next to me. You know what I mean? Like, I, I want my seat. I want my cup holder. I want space. But if I'm watching a movie at home with my family and my girls are with me, how many of you know it's a dog pile? I mean, everybody, come on, it's the family couch. Everybody on. We are we're sitting with each other. Why? Because we, we love each other and because the, the comfortability of being close to a person has everything to do with the significance of that person in your life. Now, even for you people that are like, you know, socially awkward and don't touch me and, you know, side hugs are painful, there are still some people that you love to be close to. There are some people that we just, we want to be near. And and I say all that to say that I want to talk to you today about the God who wants to come closer. A God who has invaded your space. And you would say today, well, how how much closer does he want to come? And I would tell you, closer than that. Wherever you're at today, he wants to come a little bit closer than that. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, this is actually a really uh, similar verse to the one we started with last week. Paul's letter to the Colossians, but this is Peter speaking to the church, and he said this in 1 Peter 2, 9, you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood and a holy nation. If you don't know what that means, you'll understand the next part. He says, you are God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light or into his marvelous light. Listen, this is the way that God has invaded our space. I don't have to tell you, you've seen the headlines, but we live in a dark world. We are surrounded by darkness, but God's plan was never that we stay in the dark. This word tells us that God's plan is that he has called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. I want you to go with me, if you have your Bibles, to the gospel of John John chapter 15, because Jesus is communicating something here in this text about God's desire to be near us. And as we read this, I think you'll see that it's more than just a desire, but this is is critical to our success and our effectiveness. It's critical that we have proximity, closeness with Jesus. This conversation's happening right before Jesus goes to the cross. It's, it's a conversation that happens around the dinner table. We call it the Last Supper. So this is a moment 
in, in the lives of the disciples where everybody's leaning in a little harder, listening a little bit more intently. They don't exactly know what's going to happen. They, they feel the tension in the atmosphere that this is a pivotal moment. But Jesus has been saying some crazy prophecies about being arrested and being uh, killed and, and, and three days later rising again. And then the Bible says, but they didn't understand what he was saying. So they didn't have full clarity on what God was doing, but they were certainly anxious in this moment. And and Jesus begins to say to them in John chapter 15, let's, let's pick it up in verse four. Jesus says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now, in case it's not overtly obvious, I want you to pick up the emphasis here because we've read one verse and Jesus has said five times already, remain in me. Look at the next verse. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse six, if you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, then ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you would bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Let's press a little farther. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you now. Remain in me. Remain in my love. Verse 10, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. How many of you think Jesus thinks this is important, that we have a close proximity to the Savior? I mean, even if you haven't bought in yet, can we all just agree that that John thought, that Jesus thought this was pretty critical? And I love the the older translation, instead of using the words remain, the word is abide. Abide in me. And and it just just means to stay connected, like like the the vine to the root. Abide in me. Stay connected. And what I want to say to you at the onset of this message today is that the above and beyond that God has intended for your life is not somewhere out there. I mean, I know we've got this illustration of an astronaut, and it looks like he's just kind of drifting off into space out there, and sometimes it can feel that way when it comes to following God and and God sending us out to do his will and his purpose. It can feel like we're just kind of floating out there into the abyss, but can I tell you today that the above and beyond that God is launching you into is not a launch into the abyss, it's a launch into the abide. In other words, if you can see from God's perspective, last week we talked about how we can, we can uh, lift off out of the gravitational pull of the sinful nature. If you can see your life from, from God's perspective, as you come off that launch pad and as you move away from the things of this world that used to hold you down, you are not just launching into the, to the great wide open and, and the, the lost and the dark and the obscure, you are launching into the heart of God. So the place that God is wanting to send you out is actually a place that he's sending you in to. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 12, he said, I 
am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So God's not, he doesn't want you to walk in darkness. I want you to get a new picture of, of what this looks like as we, as we launch out and away from our old lives and into the plan and purpose of God. He's calling you out of darkness. He's calling you into light. Jesus invaded our space because how comfortable you are with a person's nearness is an indication of how much that person means to you. And so the Bible says that that Jesus invaded our space in the very beginning. In fact, there's a couple of beginnings in the Bible, and one of them is right here in the Gospel of John. If you go to the first chapter in the first verse, it begins like this. It says, in the beginning was the Word, capital W, Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So John is articulating to us that that Jesus was there in creation, that Jesus was on the scene, and that everything that was made in creation, I'm not just talking about spiritual matters, I'm talking about the things of this earth that you experience with your five senses The writers of this gospel and and the writer of Genesis tells us that Jesus was there in that moment of creation, that everything that was made was made by him. Now, real quick, let's go to the other beginning. And that one, as you could probably guess, is at the beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter one, it starts like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. That's a description not only of what the earth looked like, but that's the description of some people's life. It just feels that way. Empty, formless, and that there's darkness over the surface, like a, a cloud over their life. But it says, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Verse three, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. See, Jesus invaded our space when God said, let there be light. And how many of you know the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible? I, mean, I, I thank God for good resources and, and, and for Google or whatever else you can do to look up information, but the best the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And when you go to the book of Colossians, Paul describes this moment. And he says in Colossians 1.16, for in him, he's talking about Jesus, he's talking about the word. He said, in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible things, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. Now listen to this. All things, he says, have been created through him and for him. So not only was all of it made by God, but it was all made for God. All of it was made by Jesus. It was made for Jesus. And in the next verse, Paul just makes this incredible statement. He says in verse 17, he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus holds everything together. If you feel like your life is is falling apart, Jesus 
holds all things together. Not just the things of our spirit, not just the emotional things that that we often pray about. I want you to see the way that in creation, God invaded our space in speaking this world and our cosmos into existence, and he holds it all together with a word. Let there be light, and that word still stands. Can I tell you today, every word that God has spoken still stands His word, the Bible says, it never returns void. Aren't you glad that that, that gravity doesn't have an expiration date? When he suspended the earth in its place, when he flung the stars in the sky, the Bible says in Psalms, he knows them all by name. Aren't you glad that, that he didn't forget about them? They didn't come hurling at us. His word stands, and he created all of it, intricately wove our world together around us, and he invaded the darkness when he created our universe, and after he created it, in Genesis 1, he said this in verse 6, God said, let us make man in our own image, in our likeness, and let him rule over all the earth. Who do you think he was talking to when God said, let us make man in our own image? He was talking to Jesus, who was there, the Word, in the beginning, with God, and the Word was God. Jesus invaded our space in creation, but can I tell you, he came a little closer than that. He came closer than that. Because the Bible says in in the other beginning, in John chapter 1, I love verse 14. As he's talking about Jesus being there in creation, he, he comes a little closer when in verse 14 it says this, the word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. John, again, he walked with Jesus, he talked with Jesus, so he says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Now, in the message translation, this is one of my favorite verses because Eugene Peterson translates it like this. He says, God became a man and moved into the neighborhood. Isn't that awesome? I just love that. Like God, God didn't just create all this space for us down here. God put on an earth suit and he embodied flesh and blood and he moved down the street. And John said, we knew him. We beheld his glory. We, we, we knew his brothers and sisters who were born after him. We knew where he worked. We had a relationship with him. He came near to us. You see, how close you want a person to be to you is an indication of how much they mean to you. So the question today is, how much does Jesus love you? The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53, In verse 3, it says that he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. So just think about this for a minute, because this is how close Jesus came to us. The one who, who put the stars in their place, the one who holds the world together by his word. He chose to invade our space so much 
that not only did he know what it felt like to have five senses, but he was willing to feel the same feelings that we feel. He was despised. He was rejected. Isaiah also describes Jesus in saying that, that his appearance was, was comely, the old translation says. In other words, what it means is there was nothing about his outward appearance that, that men would desire him or that women would desire him. Now, I got to, man, that's coming close. I mean, I got to be honest, if I'm God and the plan is to enter earth in a man suit, I'm coming as Thor, <laughs> right? I mean, like I drop down out of the sky, you know, with a hammer in my hand. I mean, if I got to take on a body, I'm, I'm picking a good one. But Isaiah said there was nothing about Jesus' outward appearance. In other words, some of the, the Sunday school curriculum got it wrong. Because some of you guys, you colored those pages in kids' church and, and those children's Bibles. And, and you look at all the people, and immediately when you look at it, you know which one's Jesus. Not only is he like uh, gleaming white, you know, no, none of the Middle Eastern dust is on his garments. He's like, you know, tied clean. He is white. He, he's, he's taller than everybody else. His hair is like locks flowing. And Jesus is just like smiling. He's got perfect teeth. I, I don't mean to, to, to burst your imaginary bubble, but, but Jesus was just looked like a common Middle Eastern Jewish man. He didn't look like Fabio. Now me, I, I would have gone that route. I mean, if I, if I got to be in a body, I'm picking a good one. But Jesus wanted to come near. He didn't want to stand out. He didn't want to stand above. And this verse that we just read says he experienced rejection. He, know, he knows what it means to be despised, to be hated, for other people to not uh, appreciate him or welcome him. See, the reality is most of us, we don't have a problem believing that Jesus was fully God, that he is fully God. Because, you know, we've got the leather-bound edition. I mean, when I was a baby, they handed me one of them little, you know, blue children's Bibles. I've always known Jesus is God. I, I, we see him in creation. We see him in salvation. We, we see him in the culmination of the end times. Jesus is God. Now, the disciples, that was hard for them to wrap their mind around. But what they didn't struggle to see that we do sometimes forget is that not only was he fully God, Jesus was fully man fully man. I mean, he was not 50-50. It's not like he was like a superhero, like I'm, I look normal and I act normal, but I've kind of got some cool tricks. No, he was 100% God. He had a full arsenal of godly characteristics, but he was also 100% fully man. So he, he had every characteristic of humankind, every quality, every personality. He was a man, and the disciples, they didn't struggle to see that because they, they, knew his, they knew his mom. They knew where he came from. And, and if it was hot and he sweated, they knew he stank. And when Jesus wanted to have a really important conversation too early in the morning, they knew he had morning breath. Like they didn't have a problem understanding the humanity of Jesus. But we do sometimes. We forget that Jesus actually came and, and lived among us, that he, that he got tired. Jesus knows what it means to be tired. Jesus knows what it's like to be hungry. Jesus knows what it's like to be thirsty. 
Even though he was fully sovereign and knew what he was going to do before he did it, Jesus still knew what it was like to be heartbroken. That's why even though he had told his disciples he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, when he got to the tomb, it says he cried. Why? Because you can see this is, yeah, he's 100% God, but this is a man. And that's his friend. And these are his sisters. And everyone is heartbroken. And yes, he's the resurrection and the life, but he's also a man from Galilee. And, And sometimes we can forget that God has come so far to invade our space. That, that he put on an earth suit and he became like us. He, he came so far, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, that he was tempted at all points that are common to man and yet without sin. Think about that. Jesus was tempted. Now, now to be tempted doesn't mean somebody just gave you an idea to do something you shouldn't do. To be tempted means the idea they gave you actually tempted you. And so when we read in Matthew 4 that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, that means the things that the devil threw at Jesus actually enticed him for a moment. He considered the sin that the enemy was tempting him with. You know what the first one was? Turn this stone into bread. That was the first temptation. Now, Jesus had been fasting. That means no food. And it was really supernatural because he wasn't drinking anything either. But for 40 days. Now, I got to be honest. Again, if it's me, if I'm God and I'm coming and I'm taking on Thor's body and I'm, I'm you know, living a life of a person and I have the ability to pull out the God card every once in a while and just make a sandwich out of a rock when I'm hungry... I mean, I've almost eaten through a pencil by skipping lunch before. I would turn that into a hot dog. I'm not lying. I would just, you know, I I would do that. And so Jesus in that moment was tempted to turn the stone into bread. And and the temptation was really this. The temptation was, are you going to use the abilities and the power that God has given you for selfish purposes, or are you going to use it for God's purpose? And so he was tempted like like we are, because we've all faced that temptation. And then then Satan took him, and and he took him to a high place, and he said, if you're really the son of God, and and God's word is true, then throw yourself down from this place, because the scripture says, isn't it funny how the devil knows the Bible? You know, the most convincing lie is a half-truth, and so oftentimes his most deceptive ways sound almost right. And the devil said to Jesus, the scripture says that he will not allow your, uh, your foot to be struck against the rock. His angels will watch over you. So if if you're really the son of God and the Bible's really true, throw yourself down off of this cliff and let the angels catch you. Jesus was tempted. In that moment, now maybe you've never had this temptation before, but I certainly have. In that moment, he was tempted to test God. You ever been there? God, if 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 you'll do this, then I'll... I'll do that. If you'll just show up and show off and, and do something amazing here, then, then I'll, I'll make that decision. I'll make that change. And, and Jesus was tempted in that moment to say, God, prove yourself. But God doesn't have to prove himself. And then Satan comes to him again with another temptation. And the third temptation was he took him up to a high place and he showed him all the kingdoms of the earth. 
And he said, if you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. Now, here's the shred of truth in the lie. Jesus is going to have all the kingdoms of the earth. (laughs) Philippians 2 tells us that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. But here's the temptation. You don't have to go to the cross to get the crown. How many of us have felt that temptation before? I want everything that God has for me, but I don't want the sacrifice. I want all the blessing, but I don't want to take up my cross. I don't want to persevere. I don't want to endure. And in that moment, Jesus was fully tempted to accept the crown without the cross. But he endured temptation. He didn't have to. He he was enthroned in the worship of heaven. Angels surrounded him in glory, but he chose to come near. He came so close. Not only did he come close in creation, and and did he come even closer in in the incarnation, in becoming a man, and walking among us, and and come even closer by being acquainted with our sin and our suffering, and even dealing with temptation. He went even farther than that. How much does he really love you? So much so that he's willing to identify with us. Philippians 2, I referenced this verse a moment ago, but in verse 6, it says this, talking about Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Again, if it's me, I'm using it to my advantage. You know, you're sitting in rush hour traffic, you know, you can't go anywhere, you just wave a finger and part the traffic, you know, and just kind of move on through. You know, just if I have that deity flowing through my body, I'm going to use it to my advantage at some point. But Jesus, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. Oh, he could reach it. That's why on the cross, they mocked Jesus. And they said, if you're really the son of God, why don't you call for help? Jesus could have called 10,000 legions of angels to come and rescue him in that moment, but he didn't. He hung there, and he suffered, and he died. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. The next verse says, rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being in human likeness. Jesus came, and he invaded humanity. So that, so that he could say to you this morning, I know what you're going through. No, 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 it's, it's not a cliche. It, no, I, I know what you're going through. I stepped down out of the glory and splendor of heaven, and I, I, I was rejected. I was tempted. I was persecuted. I was crucified. I, I know what pain feels like. I know what anger feels like. He got angry. I know what disappointment feels like. I know what rejection feels like. See, how close you get to a person is an indication of how much that person means to you. So how much does he really love you today? Even more than that. See, Jesus didn't just come down to earth for some heavenly science experiment so that they could just see what it's like to do some little test and see what it's like to feel like us. The reality is Jesus' mission was never to come and be like us. His purpose was to invade our space 
so that we could be like him. So when, when John, who wrote the Gospel of John, walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, when he became an old man, it dawned on him that there are more Christians now who are alive and following Jesus who have never seen him in the flesh than there are who have seen him. All the other apostles and the other followers, they're, they're starting to die off and, and the church is growing. And, and for the first time, maybe it dawns on him that, that believing in the deity of Jesus is only one problem. We got to convince people of the humanity of Jesus. Like, they believe in the stories and the miracles and the resurrection, but, but there are people that, that don't actually know that this was a real man who had a carpentry shop and who grew up in Nazareth, and they don't know his family. And so John writes another letter. It's 1 John, towards the end of the Bible. And he begins his letter with this explanation, John, 1 John 1 and 1. He says, that which was from the beginning, the one who invaded space and creation, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes and which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. John was saying the, the God who invaded space and eternity past, he's the God who, who lived among us. He walked among us. He was saying, listen, Mary, she washed his feet with her hair. I, I leaned back against his chest at the dinner table one time. All the other disciples, they had his fingers running through their grimy toes. He washed their feet. This same Jesus, Thomas put his hand in his side where the spear had gone on, and he put his fingers in his palms where the nails had gone through. We've seen him. We, we've, we've heard him speak. He was here. This God that invaded our space and penetrated the darkness, has, he's the one who brought salvation. He's the one who came near to us. Because how close you want to be to a person is an indication of how much that person means to you. And so, listen, Jesus didn't just invade the space of those who loved him back. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, verse 5, that, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was put on him, and by his wounds... We are healed. So the king that stepped down out of glory and entered into our story, he came so close that, that Judas kissed him. He came so close that Mark 15 says the religious leaders bound his hands. He, say, he came so close that, that Pilate's soldiers punched him in the face and ripped his beard out. He came so close that he was nailed to a cruel cross. How much does he love us? I mean, how much does he really, really love us when we betray him like Judas or when, when we resist him 
like the religious leaders or when we fight against what God is trying to do in our lives and in the earth like the guards did. He came so close that he, he actually carried our sin. Now, he didn't carry it in a sack. He didn't push it in a cart. The Bible says that God made him who had no sin to become sin. Supernaturally, in that moment, the man, Jesus, took on the sin of the world so that we could become the righteousness of God. And can I tell you today, that Jesus who invaded our space is the same Jesus that wants that light, the light that was in creation, the light that was in salvation, he wants that light to flow through you and to flow through me. There's an incredible story, and we'll end with this. It's in several of the Gospels, but in Mark chapter 14, it tells the story of Mary who, who interrupted a dinner. There was a religious leader who wanted to invite Jesus over for dinner. And so the table is spread, and everybody that's trying to be somebody is in the room. But then the Bible says in Mark 14 that, that this woman, Mary, walks into the room. And the custom of the day is they didn't sit at tables like we do. They reclined at the table. So Jesus' feet are out here away from the table, and he's leaning on his elbow. And the Bible says Mary comes in, and she's crying, and her tears start falling on Jesus' feet. And, and Mary bends down, and she begins to wash Jesus' feet with her tears and, and, and dry them with her hair. And then the Bible says she took an expensive alabaster box. It was a, a, a box of precious perfume or nard. And she, Mark tells us specifically, she didn't just open it, she broke the box. In other words, she didn't, she didn't count the cost. She broke the box and she poured it on Jesus. She anointed Jesus in that moment, in that act of worship. What's incredible to me about that story is here's a room full of people. Probably everybody else in that room is trying to make a name for themselves. That's why they wanted Jesus to come over. I mean, he, he's front page news. Everybody is, is, is clamoring to know what's happening with Jesus. And so the religious leader says, Jesus, you can come and have dinner at my house. And everybody in the room is trying to make a name for themselves except for Mary. And Mary makes a decision. She comes humbly. She lowers herself, and she literally kisses the feet of Jesus, and then she comes passionately. She's washing his feet with her tears, tears of passion, and then she comes extravagantly. She breaks the box of her worship open, and the fragrance of her sacrifice fills the room. What I want to say to you out of that picture is this, if, if you and I will come humbly, to God. If we'll come humbly, she came low. If we'll come passionately, she came with tears. She came with purpose. And if we'll come 
extravagantly, not holding anything back, not measuring out our worship, but really coming with all that we are. What I want to say to you is that the way to go above and beyond into the things of God and towards the heart of God is not to climb higher in works, it's to go lower in worship. Jesus said this to a room full of people that were trying to make a name for themselves. Well, everyone's standing taller, their chest is puffed out, their head's high. Here's a woman who's on her face. Her hair is now dirty with the mud from his feet. And she has nothing left of earthly possessions. But the room is filled with the fragrance of her worship. Jesus looks at her and he says, everywhere that the gospel is told, her story will be told. God, in other words, Jesus was saying, you, 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 you want to go above and beyond? You want, you want your story to be told? You want to have a legacy? You want to have an impact? You want to do something significant? The way to get there is not to climb higher by works. It's to go low in worship. And so what I want to do at the end of this service is I want to give you an opportunity. I'm going to take an opportunity right now to create an altar right where we stand. Because see, how, how much... How much you love a person is communicated by how, how close you want them to be. And Jesus has communicated in creation. He's communicated in the incarnation of his presence. He's communicated through his sacrifice that he wants to be near to us. He wants to be close to us today. And I want to just give you an opportunity to just say, Jesus, I want to be close to you. How How close? Closer than I am today. Closer than I was yesterday. Closer than I was five years ago. Jesus, I want to draw near to you. And so I want to ask you if you'd stand.